You're listening to the Right Mindset Podcast with Raquel Henry. This is episode 11. This podcast is sponsored by and associated with my writing studio, Writers Atelier. I'm an author, editor, writing coach, and part-time professor who believes that mindset work is the cornerstone of writing success. Hi, all. Welcome, welcome. And thank you so much for joining me for episode 11. Hope everybody is still doing okay. I know I've certainly had my ups and downs this year. And one of the things that has helped me has been mindset work, you know, basically taking care of my mind. This podcast, like I tell everybody else who listens, it is it is not the end all be all, but it can help you work on a positive mindset. And it can help you along on that pretty much lifelong journey. So I hope at the very least, it's been offering some inspiration and showing you all that you're not alone when it comes to writing shortcomings. We're all in the same boat when it comes to fear, imposter syndrome, finding time, etc. And I don't know about anybody else, but that reminder that we're doing this together is what keeps me going. And I find a little bit of comfort in knowing that, you know, the writers that I admire also experience the same blocks there really is no secret to success. And the only secret is really to keep going. It's like my good friend Amy Parker told me during my querying journey, the only difference between where you are right now and the writer who got published is that they didn't give up. And speaking of not giving up, that's exactly what today's guest did. She did not give up. I found out about Kelly Kuhn's debut novel, Grave Maidens, the way I find out about most of my books, which is Instagram. And you all know I love me some Instagram. So Kelly was actually, I I learned that she was a fellow Florida writer and basically proceeded to immediately stalk her. And she knows that I stalk her, so it's all good. But you'll hear a little more about that in the interview. Uh, and essentially, I was so inspired by Kelly uh, when, when it came to her grit um, concerning the publication of her debut novel. And I immediately thought, she has to be on the Right Mindset podcast. <laughs> she is such a force. So here's a little bit about Kelly's formal bio. Kelly Kuhn is a young adult author represented by Kari Sutherland of Bradford Literary Agency, an editor for Blue Ocean Brain, a member of the Washington Post Talent Network, a former high school English teacher, and the author of two test prep guides, ACT Strategy Smart and ACE, the ACT. Kelly was the test prep expert for About.com for seven years and has been published with both Scholastic and MSN in the education arena. In the parenting realm, Kelly has been published in the Washington Post, Scary Mommy, Parent Map, Folks, and other sites, regaling tales of life in the trenches with her three boys. She adores giving female characters the chance to flex their muscles and use their brains and wishes every story got the happy ending she's living near Tampa with her son's brilliant husband and a rescue pup who will steal your sandwich. Grave Maidens is her debut novel. She also has a follow-up to Grave Maidens coming out later this October called War Maidens. Let's listen to my conversation with Kelly now. Kelly? Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, welcome to the Right Mindset Podcast. I'm so happy that you are here. Um, I thought we could start with you talking a little bit about uh, who you are, what are your books, what do you write? 
Sure. Let you know who Kelly Kuhn is. Sure, I'd be happy to. So my name is Kelly Kuhn. I'm a young adult author. I, so far, have written uh, two young adult books, one called Grave Maidens, which came out in October of 2019 from Delacorte Press. The second, the sequel, is War Maidens, and it comes out in October of this year, 2020. And it centers on Kamani, who is a 16-year-old healer who has to save the dying ruler of her city-state, or her little sister is going to be buried to serve him in the afterlife as his bride. And it's this honor and tradition in their culture. And she's one of the few who sees it as not quite the honor that everyone else seems to think it is. So she's doing everything in her power to save her little sister because she has already lost so much in her life. So that's kind of the gist of what has come out and what is coming out. I do write young adult contemporary as well, but usually everything that I write, it has a little bit of some sort of speculative twist because I was one of those spooky kids. Like I love, (laughs) I love all things that are a little bit weird. So most of my stuff is going to have something like that in it and be centered on feminism. So, oh, I love that. So where did you get that idea? Like, where did you get the idea to write that story? Well, I was perusing ancient history as one does. And yeah, I came across it in many cultures across the world. Ancient sacrifice is, you know, their culture, their religion is kind of centered on sacrifice. You know, that's pervasive in many different religions and anywhere, everywhere. Um, They found sacrificial burial sites all over the globe in a variety of different cultures. So I was like, you know, that is something that resonates with humans for whatever reason. And when I stumbled across a story about a queen named Puabi, who was buried with three girls at her side, one laying by her head, when her tomb was cracked open, discovered in her inner sanctum, you know, she was lying on a a bier. And there were three girls in her tomb, one laying by her head, one laying by her side, and one lying by her feet. And I thought, what were these three? And they were young. They were in their teens. I was like, what were these three girls promised to willingly or not willingly into the afterlife with this queen? And that was really striking to me because teenagers are so full of life and hope. And I'm like, what would they have been told would happen to them if they did? So that's kind of where it stemmed. Oh, I love that. I love that. (laughs) Dark and yeah. So how did you come about? Uh, how did you fall into writing? Does, was that something that you always wanted to do? Or, you know, did you stumble upon it? And, you know, what, what made you want to be a writer? So I've always kind of been a writer. I, I grew up in a very anti-woman environment. I was raised fundamentalist Baptist. You know, I, I was one of those girls in the mall with skirts down to their ankles. And, yeah. um, you know, that was kind of the religion I was born into. So I would escape a lot into stories. I I read like crazy. And I also started writing stories when I was little, I would take um, Old Testament scripture that didn't really, I didn't see myself in it. And it didn't, I didn't ever feel like it applied to me. And I would take it and I would twist it around and write it and make the hero of the story a woman. And I would add a lot more blood and, um, (laughs) make it something I would want to read. So that's how I first started writing. And I wrote a lot of poetry, get out all my dark, angsty middle school feelings. And then I just wrote in throughout high school. I was editor of the high school yearbook. 
my undergrad was creative writing and um, me too was it? yeah yeah and and then when i graduated i was like i went into sales because i couldn't find anything to do with the creative writing undergrad so then i went back and got my master's in english education and i taught high school for a long time but i really never lost my love of writing i i was writing throughout as i was teaching sometimes the kids would be like miss i don't see myself in these stories or you know, miss, I don't like, I don't like the story. I want to write some, read something else. So I didn't have kids at the time when I was teaching. So I'd go home, I'd write a little short story and I'd bring it in the next day and I would read it for the students. They were like, ah, I, I want to read this. Why isn't this in the textbook? And I'm like, well, cause I wrote it last night for you, you know? So I, I found I could engage young adults, you know, teenagers are some of my favorite people on the planet. And I found out I had a way to engage them. And I thought, you know, I could write a book that, you know, focuses on young adults. So I could do that. When did you decide you wanted to do it professionally? A lot earlier than I actually got published. I finished my first novel, which was a Helen of Troy retelling set in a contemporary landscape in 2007, right after I had my first son. I finished that that December and then I decided to start querying. Now, mind you, I did not sell Grave Maidens until November of 2017. So a good long 10 years between writing my first novel and then selling my fourth novel, which was Grave Maidens. So I had three failed novels in between there. Wow. Uh, yeah. So I really, and the problem was really, if I'm being honest, is arrogance. I was completely 100% certain that the problem was not me. It couldn't have been me. The problem was all the agents who were rejecting me. That was, it was their problem. They didn't know a good writer when they saw one. Uh, <laughs> so I did not really have a very, very much of a growth mindset. I thought like I had in high school and really college, if I throw it on a page, I'm going to get an A and they're going to love it. And really that's a lot of what I did. And I had a few really good teachers who saw potential in me, but but didn't give me an easy A and were like, you know, you need to work harder for this. Let's, let's make this better. But a lot of them just were like, Hey, you're a great writer. This is great. Here's your A. And I was like, I'm a great writer. So that means I'm a great novelist, which is not the same thing. I didn't know that. So I started, once I wrote my third novel and failed again, spectacularly and got another rejection from, you know, it was probably like number 100 at that point. I, I was like, you know what, maybe it isn't them. Maybe it's me. <laughs> and I decided to start going to some conferences and really diving into the world of plot and storytelling from a novel perspective. And that's when things started opening up for me. I, I warned you about this a little bit, but I knew I wanted to interview you for a while. And even for me, doing this podcast and continuing it has been, there's been, there has been a lot of like, imposter syndrome. I actually worked on episodes of this podcast for two years before I actually launched the first episode. And so I I knew early on, I wanted to interview you, right? Don't think I'm a stalker, but I took this screenshot. (laughs) You had on your stories, uh, somebody else had posted it. And it says 35 drafts, 106 agent rejections, two weeks on submission, two book deals sold, right? And that this person called you an inspiration and that they were so proud of you. 
I looked at that and I thought it was so inspiring because as someone who has, I'm currently querying a young adult novel and I've been working on it since 2013. Mm -hmm. And I've had like off and on querying, you know, like you get some requests and they give you feedback and then you've got to go fix things, you know, and I, I took time off to try to get, you know, my head a little bit more clear and like, now I'm, you know, revisiting it again in terms of like, I've, I'm in the query trenches again. So my question to you is how do you keep your mind positive? Like, how do you keep going through all of that? I mean, 35 drafts, you know, 106 <laughs> rejections, that's, that can weigh on a person, a writer, yes. and it can totally shatter confidence as well. I mean, I, I've gone through the, the rejection thing myself, you know, so how, how did you keep your mind in a, in a good place? A couple of different things that I did. So I had a spreadsheet. I'm like, I use spreadsheets for a lot of things. I have one I, too. <laughs> I'm extreme nerd. Okay. We share that Raquel. Yes. Um, so I wrote down all the information about the agents on my spreadsheet, the email, who I'd sent it to, when I had sent it, what was included in the submission packet. Right. And then if well, when the rejection came in right next to their name, I wrote, keep trying in bold right after their name. That was part of my process. Like I got a rejection. I mark it on my sheet. I write, keep trying next to them. So it wasn't a check mark. I didn't X them out. It was a keep trying. That was one of the things I did. And honestly, I think, you know, when you've been rejected that many 106 times and you've read, keep trying 106 times, I had it set in my head that it didn't matter how many times I was going to get rejected. I needed just to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Part of it was learning. So I reje I was rejected absolutely 100% correctly at the beginning because I had no idea what I was doing. Like I had, you know, lovely dialogue and excellent setting descriptions and I had no idea how to write a plot. So until I really learned plot structure and how a character arc develops. Um, mm -hmm. that was when I kind of started seeing some more growth and that was helpful. So like when I, before I might get absolutely no response or I'd get blanket form rejections. And then the rejections, once I started learning a little more, the rejections that would come back would be, Hey, I really like your voice or they'd request the partial manuscript. So I could tell even from my rejections that I was growing. So they would say, oh, your dialogue is great here, but I have issues with this. And I would say, you know, would you be open to a revision or something? And they say, no, not, I don't think you're quite there yet with this plot. However, I would love to see whatever, you know, you write next. So I could tell that I was getting a little bit better. So that was encouraging to me. And then another thing I did was I kept people on my side who were not in the book world. My husband, for example, my mom. And I had another friend of mine who they didn't, they're readers. Like my husband doesn't read anything unless it's like, you know, business or something. But my mom reads fiction. And then my other friend, she reads fiction, but they're not involved in writing. And, and they would tell me, I believe in you. Every time I would sit down in, on the couch and just be overwhelmed with despair that I was completely out of my league, that I had no idea what I was doing. You know, one of them would remind me, Kel, there's a reason that you were a creative writing major. There's a reason you've been writing since you were eight. You've got this. Believe in yourself. Do what it takes to get to the next level so that you can be successful in this. 
And then that would inspire me to go learn some more. Like I studied K.M. Wyland. I don't know. Have you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm familiar with her. Yep. Yes. I studied her website, which is helpingwriterbecomeauthors.com, like a college class. I went through literally, she has just loads of great information on there. And how, for whatever reason, however she organized it really resonated with me. So maybe it's our like similar brain patterns or something, but I went through her class. I have like four notebooks filled with notes that I took applying and analyzing. Like I was a teacher and I, you know, I basically teaching myself the content to kind of break down character arc and plot structure so that I really internalized it so that I could apply it in my writing. So that encouragement from those people in my life really helped me know that I could do it. I just needed to learn a little more. So that was a big deal. Those, those things I think really helped me. I really like that idea of putting next to the rejection, keep trying. Yeah. I love that idea. And that's a great way to shift the the mindset around the rejection because it's easy for you or for a writer to say hey here's a rejection that's like kind of an attack on either myself or my writing and you know it doesn't feel good you yeah. know but it's putting next to it keep trying is a way to kind of reframe that thinking around it you know i love that absolutely thanks so all of this right you went through you pretty much went through the ringer on your writing or publishing journey, right? So what is it? What did it feel like when you got the call when you actually got that agent call that said, Hey, you know, we would like to I want to represent this. Can I talk to you? Oh, my God. So two days. Well, this is this an interesting story. Because two days prior to that call, I had sent out 11 queries for grave maidens sent out 11 and I had gotten 11 requests for the full manuscript. Wow. I was like, I know I'm onto something. The the concept is great. And my writing was good enough that it got me in the gate and all of them wanted to read. So I was hyped. Like that was like two weeks before I was in this moment of despair. But then after two weeks, I didn't hear a word from anybody. And I, I doubted myself. I, I remember I clear as about. I was sitting down on the couch and I had my head in my hands and I'm like, why aren't any of them getting back to me? They, all of them requested the fall and granted it was only two weeks, but still I was like, I, if they all want it, why aren't they getting back to me? I'm like, you know what? Maybe this isn't for me. Maybe, maybe I, maybe I'm completely delusional. I was like, I've been trying for 10 years. And at that point, I have published in between then, but not in fiction. I'm a a published uh, nonfiction author. I've written two ACT test prep books. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I've written a thousand articles for, um, I was the test prep expert for about.com for seven years. I'm an editor for a company called Blue Ocean Brain. I've written for Scholastic, for the Washington Post, for MSN, for Scary Mommy. I've written all these essays and they're all nonfiction. And Um, I said to my husband, I'm like, you know what, maybe I'm delusional when it comes to fiction. Maybe I really need to be just kind of pushing nonfiction. I'm like, I'm obviously good at that. I'm getting hired. I can't even keep up with how much, you know, how many opportunities are coming my way in the nonfiction arena. He's like, yeah, but is that what you love? I'm like, well, it pays. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He's like, is that your passion? You've wanted to, you want to write books. I'm like, yeah, but that no one wants me to. And he was like, you know, and I was crying. I remember I was like, I'm delusional. And, and he was like, babe, just 
And he literally told me the story about, remember those gold miners who they kept digging and they kept digging and they kept digging and they stopped and they sold their land. And the next guy came out on their property and dug in the exact same spot they were digging. And within a foot, they found a whole treasure trove of gold. That he's like, Kelly, that's where you are. You are right there. He's like, just keep digging. And honestly, two days later, I, you know, in kind of pulling the tentacles awoe from around my neck, I'm sitting at the kitchen counter and an email comes through in my phone and it is uh, Kari Sutherland with Bradford Lit. And she says, hey, I want you to know, I read, I'm not all the way through your manuscript, but I'd love to have a conversation with you anyway. And then later that day, another agent emailed me and said, hey, I'm not all the way through your manuscript, but I'd love to have a conversation with you. Wow. And I was like, I, I practically knocked my husband over and I was like, oh my gosh, two agents want to talk to me. And I scheduled calls with both of them, you know, freaking out. And both of them offered. And I literally like lost my mind. And I knew I had to tell these other agents that who had my full manuscript. And two of them asked me to wait. At that point, I had had such a lovely conversation with Kari. And we agreed on so many things that I... I said, no, you know, I'm not going to wait. I'm going to go ahead and accept it. And so I told the other agent, no, but like who gets to reject an agent? Lost my mind about that. And then when I said yes to Kari, I sat in disbelief for at least a full three days going, I have an agent that for me, that was like almost my end goal. Cause I had been trying for 10 years just to be an agent. (laughs) And then I had gotten the agent and I was like, Semi almost didn't care at that point. What happened after that? I was like, that was my goal. (laughs) Anything after this is just like someone else believes that I can write books. That was amazing. I love that story. It's so inspiring. Thanks. It took a long time, Raquel, um, and a lot of, you know, idiocy and arrogance on my part because I just wasn't learning as much as I could have had I recognized all my flaws prior to when I did. But yeah. So that's something, you know, I talk to writers about all the time is the continuous education. Yeah. So would you say that that's part of the mindset, like going, even going forward to continuously be learning as a writer, you're never really truly done learning. No, I, I am a full-time student is what I say. I'm a full-time writing student. So I listen to writing podcasts uh, like this one. Um, I was a tea. I um, listen to Write or Die with Clarabelle Ortega and Kat Cho. Oh, I love Clarabelle. <laughs> no, aren't they fantastic? I, it's really a joy to listen to them. Yeah. Uh, I buy books on everything from marketing for authors to story craft, and I read them and I take them like classes. I was like, look, that worked for me before. I'm going to continue doing that. So I hope that like Grave Maidens is the worst book that I ever write outside of the ones that didn't get published. And I hope everything after that just continues to get better and better. That is my ultimate goal. Because like I said, I am a nerd. I am like 100% Ravenclaw. So <laughs> I love learning. And I, I just want to get better. I really do. That's a great mentality to have, I think, going forward. Because publishing is a tough, tough business. You know, <laughs> regardless of whatever path you choose, it's tough. Oh, um, you, and I think you've got to have thick skin, you know. Do you ever? <laughs> <laughs> Would you say there are any other tools you think that a writer might need once they are published? 
Yeah, I mean, craft books. Um, yes. I love the the emotional craft of fiction by Donald Moss has been super helpful to me. I like Crone's uh, Story Genius. Like I said, K.M. Wyland. Um, I also have used. I'm looking at my bookshelf. Oh, there's like a whole there's a whole wealth of them that I can't think of, but yeah. continuously learning and learning from different perspectives. So. I, I read widely. I read everything from murder mystery, like trashy romance, which I love. But I read popular contemporary thrillers uh, to literary fiction. I get my mother every year for Christmas and my birthday buys me Pulitzer Prize winning fiction. And I've been reading those since I was 20. So I have a huge collection of literary fiction. I, I try my hand writing it. I read everything in YA. So I really try to stay well-versed, sci-fi. I try to stay well-versed in what is out there so I can incorporate from people who are masters. I just finished Gideon the Ninth and, you know, her voice was so good that I was like, you know, what, what did I love about this? And I went through a couple of chapters and just kind of highlighted the things that I loved just so I could study it. You know, so I think learning from the people who are doing it well is a smart thing to do. <laughs> oh, I love that. So I think it's safe to say that reading is critical when you oh, yeah. are a writer. <laughs> yeah. Some people tell me like, I, w- I want to write young adult fiction. I think I could be great at it. I'm like, oh, what do you read? Like, what have you read recently? And the last thing they read was, you know, Twilight. And I'm like, hey, we all love Twilight. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's happened since then. Mm-hmm. And even the stuff that was published, I'm reading, oh, The Unbecoming of Mara. And that was published a while ago, but I can already see, I think that was 2013, maybe, or 12. I'm not sure. But I can already see a difference in things that would not fly now, things that were perfectly acceptable then. And that was not that long ago. I guess that was eight years ago. Wow. Um, anyway. Yeah. Young, adult, young adult has evolved so much dramatically, even from the time I sold my book to the time that it was published, there are things in Grave Maiden that I would have 100% shifted and couldn't because it was produced. <laughs> so yeah, there, I think staying on top of those trends is vital if you're going to be published in especially young adult, which is ever changing because your audience, I mean, if you think about it, your audience turns over almost every four years, you know, you got to stay fresh and know what those trends are so that, well, and not even just trends, but know what the voice is and the tone and be up to date on that kind of stuff. Cause the kids are, so you have to be too. Exactly. Well, you know, do you know, Amy, Christine Parker? Yeah. Yes. So Amy has this insane, routine, uh, writing routine. She's very, very rigid with her writing routine. Um, but it involves this whole entire process and she does certain things on certain days. And one of the things she does is study some of those New York times bestselling books. She does like a case study and she goes through and like highlights just like you. And sometimes even like recopies, not for, not to put anywhere, but just like recopies some of the texts to get the tone and the voice. And I think that that's really smart to study, to study good work. Uh, it, every other profession there, you're constantly learning. When I was a teacher, I had to take professional development and grow and learn. As an editor, I'm constantly reading things, keeping myself up to date with style yep. guidelines and everything related to my job. My husband, he's uh, in finance. He's constantly reading things, trends to keep up to date. I'm like, writers are no different. This is a business. So exactly. you have to stay up to date and learn and grow. 
totally agree with you on that. So how are you uh, handling this uh, time right now? Like, how are you balancing the kids being at home and having to, you know, maybe even homeschool them or at least see to it that they are getting the proper education, right? Uh, How are you balancing that with writing right now? It is tough. I will say that um, I was just reading something on Twitter about why it's difficult to stay connected to your writing and your creativity. Part of it has to do with, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Our basic needs are on our minds right now, like safety. You know, am I going to have a place to live? Am I going to have enough food for my kids to eat? What if there's nothing at the store? I have to put my safety in jeopardy to go to the store. Mm -hmm. So when things are... You know, or maybe I can't sleep because I'm nervous or anxious. When those things are on the forefront of your mind, it's hard to let self-actualization even be a part of your life because you're like, that is not immediate, but my children's safety is immediate. I will say that I'm a, I'm a disciplined person by nature. And, and, and I know some people are like, well, you know, you can build discipline and you absolutely can, but I, I kind of am a disciplined person, just kind of how I've always been, which is a gift. So I've got a routine. I get up at six, I work out. I force myself to do that for my own mental health, even though I am not particularly enjoying it these days. (laughs) And (laughs) I am in full teacher education mode from eight in the morning until one o'clock when my husband takes over at one, we both are working from home. We are both blessed to still have our jobs. And then from one to about six dinner time or so I am uh, working. So I'm either writing. Um, I just finished up my first past pages for war maidens. Yay. Which is What's the release date. Just side note. Yeah. October 20th. Woohoo. October 20th. It hasn't shifted. So that's, that's really good news. That's good. Uh, Yeah. So I finished up those first past pages and then I just got a book back from my agent with notes, a young adult contemporary with notes so that I can make those edits before, you know, we decide what we want to do with that. So I car and I have, of course, my editor work, which is my, you know, actual job, Mm -hmm. but I I force myself to do it. So from one to six, I actually have a treadmill (laughs) in my office, one of those little walking treadmills. So I ordered it and I have a standing desk and I walk and write and focus. And actually walking helps me stay much more focused than I am when I'm sitting. Cause when I, I'm old, I'm 42. So I'm, <laughs> that is not old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm older than a lot of these young adult authors, but I will say sitting for a long time messes up my back. So I have to be moving or I will be, you know, my spine will be completely fused and I won't be able to get out of my chair. So that helps. Honestly, moving really helps. Movement. Yes, absolutely. Movement is so important. I, I too edit for a living. So when I sit in my chair too long, I notice that same thing with my back. So like now I have my phone in my phone, I have reminders and I have a dance party (laughs) (laughs) in between work and my, it goes off on my, on my reminders, like, okay, time to get (laughs) up. That's great because sometimes if you get sucked into your job, you're like, wow, it's been two hours and I literally have not gotten out of this chair. Yeah, that, I love that. <laughs> it's a great idea. <laughs> I'm a dancer. Like I really love dance. And I recently remembered that, you know, a lot of the things like with running a business and, you know, trying to like make that work and, and actually work and then, you know, trying to get your writing out there and all of that stuff, you know, I forgotten some of the things I like to do oh yeah and that was one of the things I recently remembered like I used to dance a lot like in college my sororities to compete and I'm like 
why don't I go back to that? Because I think doing things outside of writing also is important. Oh my gosh. It is. I mean, your, your brain. So I, I work for a company called Blue Ocean Brain and we do a lot of work in business and how that cross-references the brain and what happens in your brain. I read a lot of science and you are actually helping yourself out by doing something that has nothing to do with writing. Your brain will get better at writing if you are coloring or playing the piano or exercising. So we build different neural synapses that connect and form new connections when we're exercising our brains in different ways. So you're smart to do that. Get up and dance, make you better write. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's like, I'm not, I don't really like exercise. And it's like the one thing I can do that's, that doesn't feel like exercise, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I come from a long line. My family is like a very music family, music oriented family. Like my father dances anywhere in public if there's music. So amazing. And he used to be a DJ in Trinidad. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. I come from a musical family too. My parents were in a rock band. My, this was before they became fundamentalist Baptists. Um, they were, yeah, my dad played the drums. He's a champion drummer in Michigan. Oh, wow. And my mom played the bass guitar and they were in a rock band and, um, they did weddings and stuff. They had their best friends were on the organ and on the, um, electric guitar and the vibes. So they, we have old tapes of them somewhere uh, singing in their rock band. And it was, I mean, I grew, so I grew up in music. They ended up singing in the church a lot and I grew up singing in the church. But yeah, that's funny. So you, you used to sing. Wow. Tons. I, yeah, I love to sing. Oh yeah. Karaoke night. I am the first one on the stage. Always. That's me. <laughs> Always. That's awesome. I love that. I, I'm not. I'm not in the singing department, but I did play the flute seriously for probably wow. about twelve years. Oh so, my god! Okay. Yeah. I tried to play a flute. One of my friends had a flute, and I'm like, let me just make any noise come out of this. That is hard. It's that is hard. hard. It is. I loved it. So, last question here, Kelly. What advice would you give to a writer who is trying to get their work out there, trying to get published in some way. And, you know, maybe they might be having a difficult time. What is like the one piece of advice you can offer? I would say if you're not part of some sort of writing group, get yourself in a group because they can help you. If, if you've been doing this for a while and you don't know where you're making mistakes, like me, I had no I really didn't understand that I was making mistakes until I got rejected a million times. And then I still didn't know how to fix my mistakes. So not until I went to um, a conference, did I connect with some other critique partners who could, who could critically read my work and say, Hey, your first third, you haven't even, you don't have any kind of inciting incident or anything like that to get your story kicked off. And I was like, what's that? So get a group of people who are also writers, like whether you join SCBWI or like, you know, the group that uh, Raquel has here, join a place like that where you can connect with others who can really critically read your work and then accept it. There, I, I, I was friends with a critique partner and she just did not want to hear anything negative about her work. And I'm like, you know, I won't read it critically if you don't want me to read it. I'm like, but please tear mine apart. <laughs> like, yeah. I know now that I need to listen. So tear me apart and tell me what I'm doing wrong. So it's helpful. You, you have to have that. I think so too. I feel like you need to have, it's 
well, first of all, you need polarizing perspectives, you know, you want that. But I think it's so important to have that critical feedback. It's not to, to tear anybody down. I think if it's done in a, in a good way, you know, in the right way, and it's not like where you're like, just literally saying like, you're, 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 your manuscript is garbage. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if somebody's giving you constructive feedback, that is so invaluable because you want, the goal is to get better. And you can't really get better if you don't have any feedback or you don't know how to get better. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and trust them, you know, people, and they might not be able to tell you exactly how to fix it, but they, if people are telling you something's off, something is off. Mm-hmm. Most of the time writers are readers and they can feel when something's off, even though they might not be able to pinpoint what it is. So if they're like, eh, I, something's wrong with this, or I don't know if I like this, then and you might say, well, this is actually, this is technically fine. No, there's something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> might not be exactly what they're pointing out, but it's something else. So. Yeah. It's very important. I think to have that open mind, you know, you got to have an open mind. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That, that is honestly the biggest piece of advice go into publishing expecting criticism because you will get criticized by your agent and you will also get criticized critiqued i should say not criticized by your editor like i said grave maidens it was its 35th draft at least that was published yeah and i read it now and i'm cringe because i'm like oh my gosh i would totally fix this because i've grown since then so uh never stop learning and be open to the possibility that you're not everything that you might think you are so I did say that was the last question, but you just said something that made me think of something. The 35 drafts of the manuscript, how, is, how are you revising that? Is that like, so when I say, are you a, focusing on one piece of craft each time? No, um, I, that is like a complete revision. So when I'm talking about 35 revisions, I am talking about, I revised it. I went through whatever changes I felt needed to be made. And I said, this is good. And then I sent it off to a critique partner and they sent it back to me with notes. I revised it. I made the new changes that I thought needed to be made. And I said, this is good. And I sent it off to another critique partner or my agent. So, you know, it has been, and then I probably revised it myself with complete drafts, like eight times before I even sent it out to agents. And then I got feedback from Kari and we revised it a bunch before we went out on submission. And then when I got uh, my editor, Kelsey and I revised it a million times before it went to press. And then you do your copy editors. They take a look at it and they tell you what to fix. And then yes. it goes past pages and then you see all the things you missed. And I had three rounds of first pass pages. So first, second and third pass pages. So literally it has been edited to death, which it needed. And it, I mean, it still needs more, but <laughs> yeah, I think that that is such great info for writers to, to know and understand because this is not just something that's a quick fix. You know, this is not like a, we're just gonna, you know, it's, it takes a lot of work. Oh, absolutely. I rewrote the first half of War Maidens twice from scratch, 100% scrapped and redone. Wow. And so, and every time you do that, you get rid of all those little, um, like wordplay revisions, all those little line edits that you went through and made it pretty and tightened it up. You got to do all that all over again. So, um, it is a process. I was on a panel once and a man was saying, I was talking about how much I revise and the man was saying, well, I might go back through it and add a comma or take a comma out. And I just burst out laughing because I was like, commas are the last thing I even think about. I'm like, I don't even get to commas until 
I don't even mess with the commas because I know someone's going to delete an entire like 20,000 words out of this manuscript. And then why mess with those until you've done the big revision? So, well, that makes me feel a little better too, because I've been complaining about being on draft 6C. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you're doing great. (laughs) That's not so many at all, Raquel. Not so many at all. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for doing this. That was really great. I loved everything you said. And I think a lot of writers are going to have some big takeaways from this episode. Oh, good. Yay. I hope so. It was so nice. Where can we find you on social media? What are your handles? I will also link to this in the show notes, but just so we know on here, where are you? I am Kelly Kuhn 106 on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I also have a YouTube channel, but I don't have anything on it yet. And I also have a TikTok apparently because um, one of my sons set that up for me and I don't have anything <laughs> on that either. <laughs> it's coming. I know. Oh man. If this quarantine keeps lasting, then I'm certain at some point we'll be doing something on there. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Kelly. That's it. I always feel so, so motivated when I talk to Kelly or when I see her posts online. I feel so lucky that I got to sit down with her and get a glimpse of how she makes her writing work. Um, And I'm even more lucky that I get to share that with all of you. I hope you'll join me in following Kelly's journey and check out her books. Her upcoming novel, again, is War Maidens, which is the sequel to her debut novel, Grave Maidens. Now, War Maidens will be out later this October, but you can get Grave Maidens now. And of course, we will link to all of those in the show notes. And you can also find out where to where to follow Kelly. All right. Thanks, as always, for listening, you all. If you're enjoying The Right Mindset, I encourage you to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also check out Writers Atelier at writersatelier.com or on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. If you're interested in joining our membership, you can do so through Patreon. Special thanks to our podcast editor, Allie Grauer. Take care and happy writing life.